Well, hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, once you find the book of Matthew, Matthew is going to be in the New Testament. It's actually the first book of the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, we have kind of two halves of the Bible. We have an Old Testament and a New Testament. When Jesus came onto the, when he came onto the scene, he changed everything. And uh, so we have this new version, or new portion, excuse me, I should say, of the Bible. And so Matthew was one of Jesus' boys, and he, he is given an eyewitness account of the life and the events of Jesus. And Matthew's writing with a particular audience in mind. It's a Jewish audience, and so if you could find the book of Matthew chapter 2, and as you're getting there, um, have you ever had a power problem? Um, Anybody ever had a power, yeah, I've had a power problem, and so let me explain. I've had a power problem um, in particular when I moved to the house I live in today, and so about two years ago, my family and I, we journeyed up from Louisiana, where we were living at the time, and we moved into this new house, and right before we moved, I bought a new washer and a new dryer, or used, they were new to me, and uh, so I had never ran them before, and when we got into the house, I plugged them in and my dryer wasn't working. It would run, but it wouldn't heat. And so, um, you know, I like to think of myself as kind of like a handyman. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to fix this, you know. And in my house, if the, if the laundry cannot be done, it's like a small crisis, okay? I live in a sorority house, not literally, but I have, I have four women that I, or, you know, three girls and somebody like, that's weird. You're one of those preachers. Anyway, so no, no, they're my daughters. All right, let me explain. You'll see a picture in a minute. If we just met, I'm sorry. Anyway, and so I've got a wife and three little girls, and if we can't do laundry, it's, it's a really big deal. And so here's what I begin to do. I, I, I start taking the dryer apart because I've already checked the breaker box, and the breaker's on. It's not tripped. And I have this little thing that tells me if electricity's hot, you know, and so I, you know, it's a little pin and it goes, dee, 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 tells me the electricity's running, everything's good there. And so I take the dryer apart, I'm going to fix it, I get on YouTube and do a DIY video and fix it yourself. That's somebody out there tonight, I know you are. Anyway, and so put it all back together, it doesn't work. And so I go rent a dryer and the rent dryer doesn't work, so I think maybe it's the outlet, I start trying to fix the outlet and I'm, I have a power problem on my hands and I can't figure out what's going on. I take the dryer apart a second time, by this time my wife's like, you just need to go buy us a new dryer, right? We need to solve the problem. And I'm like, working on it, you know, and so, Anyway, I just decide, you know, I, I go and, and I said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to cut the power off to the house, and I'm going to go ahead and fix this little thing right here that you can't see, but it's called a breaker. And I'd already tested the breaker, and the breaker wasn't tripped, but there was something tripping within the power. See, my breaker was broken, and I didn't know it, because there was part of it that was working somehow. But when I replaced the breaker, I found out that the breaker was broken, and I went to the source of the problem, and I figured out I had a problem with my power because my breaker was broken. And I share that with you tonight because I think that we all have a power problem in the house tonight when it comes to our life. That there's a lot of us, and most of us have walked in here tonight, and our hearts are kind of like the breaker of our, uh, our psyche or the breaker of our life. And so often we have power problems in our life. And listen, God wants you to experience power. He wants you to experience what the Bible says is Holy Ghost power. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God wants to indwell your heart and give you power so that you can accomplish the purpose in your life. But there's something deeply broken in all of our lives that prohibits the power from from flowing properly through our life. And it's, it's that our hearts are broken that there's something broken inside of you and me, that, th- that we're born into this brokenness, that we are born in a system that's constructed for failure. And so here's what we've done as a culture, and here's what we've done as a society, is that, that we've gone to uh, ourselves to try to fix our problem. And so if you go to a bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, or, or if you look at Amazon and see the top-selling books of the year, you're gonna find out that the, the largest section in, in this day, in the bookstores, if it's brick and mortar, and the, the best-selling books on the shelves are gonna be self-help books. And a lot of you, like, you, your phone has got a litany of podcasts so that you can be a better leader, a better entrepreneur, tell better jokes, whatever your podcast is, right? And so you're listening to all kinds of people out there, gurus, trying to help you be a better version of you. You've already started the diet, right? Is that anybody? You started your New Year's resolution before the new year, baby. And so you've already started your diet because, let's be honest, you ate way too much turkey and dressing and gravy and potatoes and sweet potatoes. It's really not even really healthy for you, but, you know, you thought it was healthy, but it's really like a dessert. But then you put some cranberries on the side, and so you thought that made up for a whole multitude of sin, but you went and got it, and so you started that workout. And then you wanted to add a little bit to that diet so that you can get those gains that you're hoping 
hoping to get because your family's taking that beach vacation that everybody's jealous about over Christmas holiday. And so you're trying to look inside of you to fix you. And so our generation, our generation, we've invented a word. And it's a word that we've invented that has been recognized by Webster Dictionary. And we are so consumed with ourselves that we've invented this word called selfie, right? So we are growing up in this society where we now have phones with cameras on the front and on the back. And we're taking selfies all the time. Or some of y'all, y'all just like to make fun of people taking selfies, right? And you're like, I don't take selfies anymore. I take ussies. It's like me and my crew, right? And so you just, you, and you make fun of people or whatever. And, and if you are not the person that likes to take selfies, let's just be honest. Every one of us, when we FaceTime somebody, we're not looking at the person we're talking to. Right? We're looking at that little square up in the corner, right? And we're like making faces, and you're more consumed with you than you are with the love of your life, you know, that you're talking to, right? And so we are so consumed with ourself. And listen, this self-focus has led us to a lot of disappointment in our life. I mean, think about it. Who has let you down more? Who has lied to you more? Who has betrayed you more? Who has misled you more than you? And so we we know that something's not right, that we're not experiencing the power that we were designed to experience, but the, the solution or the source that we're looking to to medicate or the salve that we're looking to to fix us We're looking to ourselves and it's causing all kinds of problems in our life. Listen, the thing that may be causing you to not experience the power that God wants you to experience may just be you. Like you may be the biggest obstacle that is standing in your way to experiencing the life-changing power of God in your life. And you are not working. I am not working. Last week, we, we tied a bow. We finished a series called Ask Me Anything, and we talked about anxiety last week, right? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all hopefully had some good handles and some good helps as you went into your family time and that sort of thing. But it was this incredible opportunity for us to look at what God's Word has to say about moving from being uh, cleansed to being made whole to being so-zo. If you missed it, man, I encourage you to go check it out. It was an incredible series But what we found out last week and what we all know is that we are the most anxious generation. And that whatever we are doing, it's not working. And so we come here tonight and we're looking at this this new series. and, And tonight we've titled this message simply Power. That we're all searching for power. It's innate in human in humanity and mankind's experience to want power. And so tonight, here's what I want you to see, that, that we have all come in here on, on some sort of power trip, all right? Like we have this, this lust and this craving for power. But I want you to see that in the things that matter the most, we're really powerless. And before we leave tonight, I want you to see that there's great power in your weakness. And so Matthew chapter two, if you're there, I want you to lay your eyes on it. Now every person that recorded the nativity story or the, the entrance of Jesus Christ into mankind and into the, the earth, they, they all kind of have their different spin. And so Matthew, he records uh, the things that he chose to record so that he could tell us something distinct about Jesus's entrance into the world. And here's how it starts. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. He tells us about this guy, Herod the king, more on him in just a second. He says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. I love that word worship because it's like when you get around somebody that you know is a bigger deal than you, and then you just begin to kind of give gifts, affection, time, energy, effort. That's what that word worship means. And it doesn't matter if that person is old, young, big, little, wherever they live. And so the magi or the, the, the wise men that came from the east, they came to find this toddler king and worship him. But verse three, I want you to see this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. You can circle that word. He was troubled. He was troubled. And then, and all of Jerusalem with him. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Power trip. Power trip. See, Herod was troubled at the announcement of this new king, and so he went 
from being troubled to tripping, all right? And, and Herod is like the quintessence of a power trip, all right? So this brother, he is like the picture of ambition. He is one of the most uh, incredible leaders. He's one of the most incredible men of influence in this day and age. And so as a young adult, he stumbles into an opportunity to be somewhat of like a governor of the, of the Middle East. And so he's like a governor in Jerusalem. And then through a series of events, he begins to become uh, placed in a position where they dub him, the Roman Empire dubs Herod, king, king of this region. Now, Herod wasn't a Jew, and, and this created some dysfunction within the people that were underneath his tyranny, but he was called king. And Herod, he was this guy that just seemed to be able to work things and manipulate things in order to get his way. Let me explain. There was this death of a very important person that you probably remember. His name is Julius Caesars, and you eat, you eat his pizza, Caesars, little Caesars. Anyway, and so Julius Caesar, and he was, he was assassinated by Cassius and Brutus, and what ensued after that were these two men, one named Mark Antony, who then went on to marry a lady named Cleopatra, who walked like an Egyptian. Anyway, and so he married her, and then a guy named Octavian. And Antony and Octavian, they began to go fight the people that led the rebellion that killed Julius Caesar, so much so that they dominated the whole Roman Empire. But then eventually the inevitable happened that Mark Antony and Octavian, they had to square off. Now along the way, Herod had decided to bet on Mark Antony because Mark Antony had the alliance with Egypt because he married Cleopatra, and he also was a, a decorated war hero. And so Herod being the guy's like, yeah, I'm gonna go with Mark Antony. And so he liked those parties for Mark. He, he provides aid for Mark when they had this little this little thing in Alexandria. Um, he is supporting. He's like, Mark's our man. But then when Mark and Octavian, when they square off, Octavian dominates that dude, all right? So much so that he decides to kill himself, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And Octavian, he becomes the first Caesar of Rome. And we know him as Caesar Augustus. Now, Herod, he's in a little bit of trouble. He's like, man, what am I going to do? I've already sided with Mark Antony, and he really had three options. I can kill myself. I really don't want to do that because I kind of love me some me, is what Herod would say. Or um, I could, like, like, try to hide, but that ain't going to work because if Octavian got Antony, he's going to get me too. Or I could just try to, like, bury my head in the sand and pretend. But here's what Herod decides to do. He says, you know what? I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to go to the island of Rhodes. And so he knocks basically on the palace of Caesar Augustus at the island of Rhodes. He's like, hey, bro, it's me. <laughs> it's Herod. And uh, let me explain real quick before you try to kill me. And, and here's what he said. He said something like this. And, and I think this really portrays the way that Herod is able to manipulate a situation. He says, as you know, I was a friend of your enemy, Mark Antony, and a loyal supporter of him. What you know about me is that when I pledge my loyalty to someone, I support them to the bitter end. Oh, Caesar, here we go, I am loyal to you. And so he rode up into this guy's house. He's like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And here's what happened. Caesar Augustus, he's like, I like this guy. I like him a lot. So much so, hey, I know you're king of Jerusalem. I'm going to go ahead and throw in Jericho, Gaza, Samaria. Does that sound good? And Herod's like, yeah, that's right, you know. And so Herod is like in his 30s, and he has been able to manipulate these systems so that he can propagate his desire to be this king, build this legacy. That brother was on a power trip. And then what happened was when he got home, he went from power trip to tripping even more. Herod was so uh, dedicated to his own self, his own name, his own renown, that he began to build a lot of things. And we know Herod as Herod the Great, or some historians call him Herod the Builder. Now, there was a dark side to Herod's ambition, that he was threatened by some of his own children. He killed three of his sons. He murdered one of his wives. He left one of his wives. And Herod is about 70 years old when he hears this announcement from these wise men from the east saying, hey, where's the king of the Jews? And so, yeah, you better believe Herod was troubled. And the reason why Jerusalem was troubled was because when Herod got troubled, he started tripping. And so all of Jerusalem was troubled because they're like, man, this brother got some power issues. He's about to go off. Don't even look at Herod. He's going to be slapping people, slapping children. He gonna be, I mean, it's, gonna, it's not going to be good. When Herod got mad, people began to die. And so what we find here in Matthew is that Herod's response to this birth announcement is quite tragic. In verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. 
And he sent forth and he put to death all the male children. Listen, he had children executed because he was scared about what might, what might happen to his legacy. He had all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from, from the wise men. That Herod was furious and when he was mad, people suffered and they died. And so he gave these orders to kill anything that threatened his ambition. And the more you hold on to your life and the more you hold on to your plans and your ambition, you begin to understand just how fragile your legacy is. And I share this story of Herod because Herod will be forever remembered as the king who missed the king of the universe. That because he had such a craving for power, he missed the greatest power. And I don't want this to happen for you. So at first sight, like we see Herod and we're like, man, this guy, like he had some issues. He was unjust. He was mean. He was abusing his power. He was slaughtering the innocents. I mean, I mean, the innocent, he is like the quintessence of a power trip. But here's what I want you to see, that we are all on the same power trip. That there is a little Herod inside of us all. And this is why we've all come in here when it comes to our relationship with God. We're not, some of us, we're not experiencing the power of God that he created for us to experience. And maybe you come in here and in, in, your, in your life, maybe you feel the spirit of God saying, why are you tripping? And that you've mistaken power in and of yourself, thinking that that's real power. And so you focus on yourself, but this, this, this selfie movement, it's built on these virtues that are in our culture, the virtue of individualism and then the, the value of self-esteem. But this virtue and this, and this value, it has a vice, and the vice is called narcissism. And so listen, we've come in here tonight, and, and I would say that the majority of us, we, would, we were probably moderately not narcissists. And some of y'all are, are even more narcissistic than others. Don't look at them, all right? That'd be weird. But you could actually go online and you can take a narcissistic personality disorder test. I did it yesterday. It's awesome, right? And you can kind of figure out where you're at on the spectrum. Now, you got to give them your email, but you don't have to pay anything. Yeah, anyway, and so you can go there and literally there's this, there's this term, a psychological term to describe somebody who was really selfish and it's called narcissistic personality disorder. I got NPD. That's why I want to go eat here, right? You know, you start using that as a crutch, right? And listen, we have this proclivity in this room to have this disorder more than any other generation. Here's a few stats on narcissism. We are three times higher than the generation 65 plus uh, to struggle with this disorder, that eight out of 10 in this room believe that they are very important, 80% of us. In 1950, it was only 12%. That, that us in this room tonight, we believe, this is what we believe, that, that because we've had so many participation awards and so many achievements for really doing nothing growing up, that we are 40%, excuse me, we have a 40% likelihood to think that we deserve to be promoted every two years, regardless of our performance. Like, bro, I showed up. I need to get paid more, right? Like, you didn't do anything. I know, but I'm here. I deserve a promote me, right? And this is who we are. Millennials' number one goal, listen, is to get rich. Some of you are like, oh, what's wrong with that? <laughs> we, all, we all want money. More money, more problems. I'd like to try. You know, some of y'all think that, right? And then we're like, all right, all right, if I can't be rich, I'll be famous, right? And these become like the virtues in our society, money and fame, that the number one question when, when uh, considering an opportunity that millennials ask, according to this study, is what's in it for me? Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Well, what do I get out of it? And we all have a little Herod inside of us. But, but I wonder, like when we look in the word of God, what does God think about this tendency to live for ourselves? Like the Bible is, is full of teaching that the source of the world's greatest problem, listen, lies inside of every human heart. G.K. Chesterton, he was asked, he's a famous theologian, he was asked to respond to this question, what is the worst problem in the world 
And he simply wrote back, I am. That the Bible is full of this this reality that our, our hearts are broken, that we have a power problem. And King Herod's reaction to Christ, in a sense, is a picture of all of our reactions to Christ. Like when we see Christ coming and flexing his authority, we're like, no, 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 I want to be king. Like, like I think we're all okay with God serving our needs. Like we can pray and ask God to help us win the game. We can pray and ask God to help us seal the deal. We can pray and ask God to help us get a date. We can pray and ask God to help us make a little more money. But when God begins to start demanding our life, we're like, nah, man, that's too much. I'm the king. And this is so true. I wonder, what are the things in your life when God begins to demand his authority in that area of your life, it troubles you? You know, like the Bible said, Herod was troubled. What area of your life are you troubled? You know, think of it this way, like uh, maybe it's uh, your pursuit of pleasure. Like pleasure, it's a great thing. God has given us the ability to experience pleasure. And so we had smoked turkey from East Texas. It's called green bird turkey last week. And it is glorious. And then you take all the dark meat and you chop it up. You put taco season on it. You get smoked turkey tacos. It's amazing. You should try it sometime. It's a pleasure. And it's a God-given gift. Now, if, if I abuse this pleasure, if God begins to say, hey, you, you can have two tacos but not seven, bro, all right? All right, just say no, all right? And I'm like, taco, right? And, and, and when he begins to flex his authority in this pleasure, I have to ask myself, am I troubled or am I going to submit to his authority? And we struggle with this in certain areas of our life, right? Well, let's talk about your sex life. Like when we, when we read this ancient sex ethic that we find in the scripture and that we try to parallel that or try to apply that to our life, it is almost impossible And so when God says, hey, I need you to break up with him or break up with her or I need you to get rid of that thing or I need you to stop watching that or listening to that, we're like, no, no, God, God, I'm going to do me, you do you, all right? You do the church thing and then on Monday I'm going to do what I got to do, right? And we get troubled when God begins to flex his authority in our life or maybe it's our purpose, right? Like you know if you're here and you've been tracking with the Lord at all or maybe you just innately know this that God has a plan for your life. He has purposes for your life. But so often we go to God and we're like, God, look, check this out. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to live in this town. I'm going to have this dog, this color, okay? I'm getting married in this era, you know, this zone. I'm going to wear that dress. Those people are going to be there, not him, not her, you know, that sort of thing. And you just begin to lay it out for God. And you got, God, you made me type A, so sit down and listen, all right? And you start laying it out for God. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm the king. And my purpose for you may be that you live in your 20s single so that you can leverage a decade for the sake of the gospel. We're like, no, no, God, no, my brother got needs, God. You know, I, I need to get married and, you know. He's like, that's not my purpose. And we wrestle when God begins to step into our business And so what happens is so often in our mind, we think that there's like this this place that is going to provide us happiness. And a lot of us think like you you have a celebrity in mind. If I could be that person or live in that place, like it would be awesome. Just a a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting down with a young adult who grew up here and he's now living in, I think he's living in LA. um, And he's like, he's friends with James Franco, sound made up. But then he showed me a picture. I'm like, oh, okay. I believe you now. Anyway, so like they hang out, and James is actually helping him through college, and he's like, yeah, man, I live, with James, or I live in one of James's apartments, and, um, and he's cool. He's really generous to me, and I'm like, man, you, like, you know people. He's like, yeah, we were hanging out with these famous people and these famous people. He's like, but man, it's so dark, and I got to get out of there. And some of y'all are in this room tonight, and you're thinking, oh, if I could live on the West Coast, I would have it made. But there's not life in a location. There's no power in a position. We find our power only in Christ Jesus. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. And Christmas is all about Jesus coming to us, claiming to be God, the King, the power of the universe. And he calls us, listen, if you want to follow Jesus, it is a call to die. 
In Luke chapter 14, here's what Jesus says. In Luke 14, 26, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, it's crazy. If he does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, listen, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What are you saying, Jesus? I gotta, I, I mean, I, I really, I, I wouldn't say I hate my brother, but I don't like him. You know, but my daddy, I love my daddy, right? Or me? What are you saying, Jesus? Listen, he's not saying literally you got to throw hate on those folks. What he's saying is that you have to have supreme allegiance to him. And that your allegiance to Christ that makes any other commitment that you have made look weak. To follow Jesus is a call to deny yourself and to die to yourself. And Christmas is a claim of absolute authority, absolute power, and it summons to unconditional loyalty. And it inevitably triggers, listen, inside of every one of our hearts, a resistance. Because we want to be king. Like, no one likes being told what to do, right? How many of y'all in here, like, you know, you, when somebody comes like, hey, sit down, you're like, no, I'm going to stand up, right? Like, you just, you just like attitude. Don't, ain't nobody telling me what to do. And listen, we're born this way. And I know this because, listen, you, you can look at this picture right here. In this picture, you see a lot of sweet, cute little faces. And these are my kids and, and then the cousins that we all were hanging out with last week. And so we have eight under eight. And the reason why I know that nobody likes being told what to do is that my wife decided that we should get in the backyard and play a nice, friendly game of kickball, all right? And so we put the bases out and we're like telling the three-year-old, okay, it's your turn to kick, buddy. I don't want to kick, right? You know, and okay, well, and then, and then I'm out there like, I, I'm cold-blooded. I'm pitching, you know, and I'm catching the ball. And I'm, I mean, I'm throwing it at my mother-in-law. I'm throwing it at kids, you know, waist below, waist below. My wife, she kicks the ball and like hits one of the kids in the face. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You better get your hands up. Get your hands up, man. I mean, one after another, when they don't get their way, they go off like just somewhere behind a tree, you know, just crying. And I'm like, get over here, man. It's part of the game. But that's how we're wired, right? Like we all want our own way. And according to the word of God, the evil of the world ultimately stems from you and from me. From our self-centeredness, from our self-righteousness, from our self-absorption. And this cancer is birthed in every heart here tonight. That each one of us, we want the world to orbit around us. Like we want people ultimately to serve our purposes. That in every heart, there's a little King Herod that wants to rule and is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and its sovereignty. That each one of us wants to be the captain of our own soul and the master of our own destiny. And so we're on this power trip called the human experience. And God's looking at us like, man, you gotta quit tripping. Jesus has come onto the scene and he claims absolute authority and ultimate and infinite power. But listen, no heart here tonight would choose to submit to God on your own. No heart here tonight, unaided, would gladly surrender and write a blank check to God. It's just not how we're made. The the word of God, it says it like this in Romans 3. Paul, he says it like this, that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one, listen, there's no one who seeks God. That it's normal to think that that statements like this are kind of like an overstatement. Like Paul, you know, he's like using hyperbole. Like he can't really mean nobody really seeks. No. He's saying even the church lady covers up her desire to control God through religion. Just like the atheist tries to control God through rebelling and saying there ain't no God. 
And Paul is saying that we don't have it in and of ourselves, that we are born against God. And so what happens in our culture is that we try to remove it or we try to manage it, right? And so we think that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a team player. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to go to church. Or I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to go help some people in need. And, and we think that that's going to kind of cloak up and cover up and kind of remedy our selfishness that's inside of our heart. But the modern movement taught us this in the 20th century, that there's no therapy. There's no education. There's nothing that can remedy the selfishness that's inside of every heart here tonight. That the power of the darkness and the power of the selfishness that's inside of our heart, it is strong. And some of you, you've surrendered your heart to Christ, but there's still residual rebellion lying deep in there. And so Paul, he goes on to explain it even further. He says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. The Bible makes it real clear that we are dead in our sins. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I love this. He says, all of us used to live that way. Like paradigm is a movement for all people. This isn't just for the good people, all right? Or I wouldn't be up here, I promise you. And Paul's like, look, we were all born into this system constructed for failure. We were all born with broken hearts, and, and we were all born with a power problem. He says, we were all this way. He says, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, I love this, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, listen, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's what Devante was talking about in the spoken word. That power came and power came to save. God, Jesus, he's not trying to make bad people become good people. He's trying to raise the dead. That every person that comes to Christ is a walking miracle. And never minimize your story if you know Christ. Well, I wasn't that bad. God didn't have to do that much to save me. You're wrong. Read Ephesians 2. You were once dead. That brother, he raised you up. And Paul's trying to say that apart from God's initiating work and his love, we are hopeless. He finishes here. He says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Hey, point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Powerless. Powerless. So the scripture's clear tonight, Paradigm. <laughs> it is so clear that, that for the things that matter the most, i.e. your eternity, you're powerless. Let's just throw out a lesser one, the weather, all right? Nobody's like, Lord, blizzard on Sunday. Blizzard, I don't want to see, right? <laughs> no, like we don't have any control over these things. There's this illusion that we are somehow in control but it doesn't work that way, right? The things that matter the most, man, we are powerless. And listen, you're going to live somewhere forever. Even if you don't believe in this, you know deep down inside that there's something in you that is going to live forever. That You have a soul. You're not just a collection of atoms. There's something much more going on inside of you and I. So I want to explain it this way. I want you to think of it like this, this, this breaker, right? Remember I told you all about this breaker? I know you can't really see it, but in some of you don't know what a breaker is. You have a breaker box in your house, all right? And that's where the, the power comes into your house, and then breakers divide the load up, and then they tell your, your outlets in your house that you plug your cell phone in and that your oven's plugged into. And that's where they tell those things like to, to get power, all right? And so that's what a breaker does if you don't know what a breaker is. And anyway, this breaker, it, I'm not really scared that it's going to shock me. Are y'all scared that I'm going to die from electrocution right now? Anybody scared? Hopefully you're not scared, okay? Because the breaker, check this out, the breaker does not have any power in and of itself. 
But the sole purpose of the breaker is to get positioned in the right place so it can receive the power but not receive the power just to stop in and of itself and be a receiver of the power. The breaker's purpose in its life, in its existence, is to get positioned in the place so it can receive the power to distribute the power to its proper places. And that's the purpose of the breaker. Likewise, you and I, we're just like a breaker. And we are powerless in and of ourselves. But when we position ourselves in the right place to receive the power from God that stepped into mankind on that day that we call Christmas Day, the power from that God, when we get positioned in the right place, the power then begins to flow through us so that we can power the proper things that God has designed us to power. And so tonight I'm calling you to recognize that you are powerless, but that you need to get in the right place so that you can receive power. Because it's not wrong to want power. It just all depends on where you look for it. And God has got something in mind for every individual here tonight. So that you can be a conduit, not a resistor of his power to this world. But you and I, man, we're powerless in and of ourselves. But it's not wrong to want power. But you got to receive power from God. And you got to understand that you cannot create the power of God. And we know this to be true. Like, think of it this way. Everything that you have, everything that you own has been given to you. Everything, all the power that you have in your possession and everything that you have has been given to you. Paul said like this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, what do you have that God hasn't given to you? He says, and if everything you have is from God, why are you boasting as if it were, were, weren't a gift? <laughs> and we do this, right? Like we, Some of y'all are like, God, Chad, I got some power. You see these right here, right? You know, like I know you're swole, okay? And I know you work out. I know you got creatine and whey protein and you was eating turkey and, and then you was powdering on top of that, right? And I know you got, and listen, you could probably outwork me and be stronger than me, but, but you didn't make your muscles. You didn't even think of the way a muscle is made. God is giving you things to manage, but again, like last week, remember, I don't know if you were here last week, and I talked about time with God, and then they were throwing all those tennis balls at me, you know, and I was trying to catch them all, and I was getting anxious about everything, right? And I, and I said this, we've confused um, uh, responsibility for control, right? And I said, we confuse stewardship for sovereignty, and that God has given you things for you to manage. But, but what are you managing that you made, What are you managing that you made? What are you stewarding that you created? Nothing. The body that you have, manage that body. You look good, do you? Go shopping, work out, do that thing. But that body's a gift. And I know you're swole, but... but God gave you that body. Some of you are like, well, Chad, I'm, I'm pretty. I am just beautiful. I go to the salon. I get my hair done did. I get my nails done. And my eyebrows are on fleek and whatever else people are saying these days. And, you know, I do. I'm like, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. You go to the salon, but you're just managing the beauty that God gave you. Somebody like, Chad, well, I've got the power to make money. Like this boy is loaded, right? You just like, man, I just, I'm, I'm good at day trading. I'm, I don't know anybody's good at day trading, but you know, I'm good at the lottery. I'm good at all these things, things that just happen. I got the Midas touch. I'm just, I'm good. But listen, you didn't choose where you were born. And you didn't choose the family you grew up in. You were given things. What are you managing that you made? Nothing. I mean, it's crazy when we begin to think that we have power in ourselves and we boast in that power. It's like LeBron dunking the basketball and then like, yeah, you know, like, bro, you were made to dunk the basketball. You act like you're surprised you could do a dunk, right? Like your hand, the ball fits in your hand like an apple in mine. And then you just dunk, man. That's what you were made to do. There's no denying that. What are you managing in your life that you have made? What can you boast your power over in your life? Everything that we have has been given to us. And when we understand this, we begin to understand 
that we're no different than the other 8 billion people in the world. That we're just a snowflake in a blizzard. And when you understand this, things begin to get in their proper place. That King Herod, he gave his whole life to build this legacy. And within a hundred years, the temple that he worked so hard on was destroyed. And Herod the Great has become a footnote in the greatest story about the greatest king ever born. And we only are talking about Herod today in reference to the way that he responded to King Jesus. How are you managing what God has given you? And listen, one of the hidden truths of Christmas and this dark episode of King Herod's violent lust for power points to our natural resistance and even hatred of the claims of God that he has in our life. This question that the Magi asked, where is the true king, can be the most disturbing question in our life. Because again, in our heart, we want to stiff arm God and we want to resist him, but the gateway for you to receive the power of God and his grace is your humility, is you having enough awareness and recognizing that you're stubborn and hard-headed in your heart and saying, God, I lay down my stubbornness, I lay down my pride, and I invite your grace to come inside of me. So it's funny when I think about this breaker problem that I had. I told you earlier, like when, when things weren't working in my life, um, I was like, okay, we need to take the dryer apart, right? And then that didn't work, and I'm like, all right, we need to replace the receptacle on the wall. And when that didn't work, I finally got the idea to go to the source. And when I went to the source, I learned that I had a power problem, and I was able to go to the source and fix the breaker. And the reason why some of you are tripping so bad in your life is because you keep trying to manage the things in your life. And you're looking at your life and things aren't working out. You're like, man, my relationships aren't working out. Or you're like, man, my sex life is broken. Or, you know, I, I thought once I made six figures that I would be like somehow like at this level of happiness. And, and I've confused success with significance and, and things are tripping in my life. And I'm just not experiencing the contentment and the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm just not experiencing the power of God in my life. What's going on? And so often we try to fix the dryer. Or we try to replace the outlet on the wall. And God's saying, look, look, go to the source. That God is more interested in you changing your paradigm than he is in you changing your performance. That God is more interested in your belief than he is in your behavior. That you've got to go to the source. You can address the peripheral time after time. That's insanity. You're in the cul-de-sac of stupidity thinking that you're going to get a different result. Go to the source. Allow God to have your heart and understand that you are powerless and humble yourself before the king of glory. John, he was entrusted to take care of Jesus' mom. And so if anybody was able to give us the intricate details of how Jesus came onto the scene, John would have been that guy. But John, he wrote his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, and he decided to not really tell us what happened, but to tell us more like why it happened. And he gives us a picture of Jesus coming in power that's unparalleled in any other gospel writer. And here's what he says in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And he goes on in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John is saying this, the power of the universe, the one that was in the beginning, the one that spoke galaxies into existence, the one that is a star namer, a star breather, the one that called the wells from deep, the one that formed and fabricated you and I in our mother's womb, he confined himself to a mother's womb, that he put on flesh, and so third and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Power and weakness. Power and weakness. <laughs> I love this, that John, he would tell us that the power of the world came at Christmas. But the journey that Jesus took was the most unlikely one because this power came in the weakness of a babe. I don't know if you've ever hung out with a baby, but they're weak, all right? <laughs> you bring them in the world, if you set them outside, they're going to die. 
They're cute, but they're weak. They're soft. They're delicate. Their heads are squishy, right? They're weak. They're fragile. And the God of the universe chose the greatest power of the world put on pampers. Jesus came, the word that was in the beginning, and he formed or he confined himself to that of a baby. Listen, no one would write a story like this. Nobody in their right mind would make up a God doing that. But we find in the scriptures that God, he, he has this opposite to our expectations arrival. We would think of a story with our champion coming onto the scene and we would call him like Jesus the Great, the emperor of you know, Rome or whatever. We would say he's Superman. But we find that Jesus comes in weakness. That Christmas is a celebration of God coming not in strength and power, but in weakness. How could the infinite become that finite, the extraordinary, that ordinary, that the very heart of the Christmas message is that unimaginable greatness was packed into a manger. That our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. That the world can't comprehend it. It wants a spectacle. And so the greatest irony that Christmas is, is the one Christian holiday that, that we seem to celebrate the most is the one that we reject the greatest. And we love all the traditions that revolve around it, but we don't want to allow Jesus to be the king of our heart. That he wasn't Jesus, he wasn't born in some civic arena, he was born in a manger, in a stable and then he was made a homeless refugee, and then he resided to live in Nazareth, the ghetto of the ghettos in the Roman Empire. This is our great God. What do you think God's trying to teach us through this power coming in weakness? That there's power in our weakness. Paul, one of the greatest theologians of the New Testament, he prayed, God, take this thing away from me. And God imposed upon Paul's pen to write these words down that he responded to Paul in this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in your strength. No, no. For my power is made perfect in your worship. For my power is made perfect in your prayer life. For my power is made perfect in your performance. For my power, what's it say, is made perfect in your weakness. That there's power in your weakness paradigm. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. The Bible teaches us that God operates in opposites. The greatest person in the history of the world was born in a manger. That God, he chooses this no-name society called the Jews to be his messengers. That God takes down a Goliath, not with a Goliath, but with a shepherd boy. That God, he speaks to one of the greatest prophets, Elijah, not through the storm, not through the earthquake, but through the still small voice. That God operates his power through our weaknesses. Is it because he loves the underdog? Is it because he loves to shout an eternal Rudy, Rudy? No. What God is showing us is that salvation is something far more than any religion or moral philosophy teaches. That salvation is found in Jesus saying, I've come for the weak, I've come for those who admit they are weak, and I will save them not by what they do, but through what I do that the greatest power in the world was displayed through the weakness of death. That Jesus is saying to us, you don't understand, I'm gonna lose all my power and die. And I'm gonna do this to save the world. And that at the climax and the crescendo of his life, he ascended not to a throne, but to a cross. Why? so he could be our substitute. That Christ, he came into our life to be our substitute, to bear evil, suffering, and death. And the consequences that are in our heart, Jesus came to bear the punishment of our selfishness. 
that he came to die for the consequences of our power trip. So power took a trip to destroy the darkness of our selfishness and he became powerless so that we could receive his power. And so tonight, where are you in regards to this message? See, I think there's three types of people here tonight. I think there are those of you who understand the power of God and you have positioned yourself in a right place so that you can receive the power of God and God's power is flowing through you and praise God. I think there's others of you that you have positioned yourself in the right place, but you have tripped and you're not experiencing the power of God in your life anymore. Paul says that the people who who are in the last days, who are against God, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And that may be a description of your life, that you know Christ, but you're not walking in his power tonight. And it may just be because you need the Holy Spirit to come reset you. And he's bringing up some things in the way that you're doing life, and he's saying, hey, I need to reset you. And I think there's others of you who you're not even in the right place to receive the power of God. I wonder which one of those categories would fit you tonight. I want to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And uh, we're going to just finish with an opportunity for you to respond. We have a group of young adults that are going to come up to the front of the stage and uh, we're, we would love to invite you to, to respond in just a second. But I just want to ask you, do you know the power of God in your life? Are you experiencing what God wants you to experience in your life? Or are you trying to be the king of your heart? Do you have a right relationship with Jesus? Or is Christmas just gifts and lights and traditions? If you don't have a right relationship with Jesus, what's holding you back? Why not let tonight be the night that you position yourself underneath the power of God and that you would see that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he rose from the grave so that you can know him for eternity. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray for my friends that you'd help them to be faithful to respond to your word and what you're doing in their life. God, I ask that they would not confuse stewardship for sovereignty. God, that they would look at their life and they would see all that you called them to manage and they wouldn't try to control it as if they made it. God, I pray that you would help them to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow you and that you would bring life change here tonight, that your power would be palatable tonight and that you would usher into the hearts and the lives of many tonight for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.